insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, hosted by yours truly, Scott Howell, and the incomparable Bradley Flowers. For agents, by agents, we're here to share real-life experiences, tips, and insights related to all aspects of both being an insurance agent and running a successful agency. So sit back, turn up the volume, and let's get down to business. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast for agents, by agents. My name is Scott Howell, the insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. I am excited to be here with you today. We've got a great show lined up. But before we get started, let me introduce first-team All-American, great insurance agent and better person from Mobile, Alabama, the incomparable Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm doing great, Scott. I'm here at Deep Fried Studios in Mobile, Alabama. How are you doing today? If he would have thought for 400 years, he would not come up with a better name than Deep Fried Studios. That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) Johnny, I'm giving him a plug right now. Johnny, if you're listening to this, fantastic job coming up with a name for your studio down there. He is is the man for podcast in South Alabama. Yeah, I I tell you what, when he gets his name out there, especially when we pick up about 2.5 million subscribers to our podcast, he's going to have every human being in South Alabama trying to get him to to, to do what what we've been able to do here. Guys, let me let me tell you about our show today. Got Bradley Flowers, Mobile, Alabama, Alpha Insurance. Again, my name is Scott Howell. Nationwide Insurance up in Huntsville, Madison, uh, Florence, and Athens, Alabama. We really service 12 different states right now and about to add number 13 with Arkansas. We, uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about game planning for all you new agents out there and associate agents that have just gotten into the insurance business. And hell, even some of you guys have been in it for a while. Bradley and I are going to talk a little bit about our game plan in terms of we've passed our test, we've gotten into the business, we understand and we know what vehicle we're good at selling. So, so now we need to go after some stuff. We got we got to go well well hunting and and in some cases maybe we go baby well hunting, but um, what what are we going to go sell, Bradley? What are we going to go sell? Well, I, you know, and I want to ask your opinion on this because you and I are on a little bit different ends of the spectrum, which is why I love this podcast so much because we represent. I don't want to say two different things because it is this, you know it's property and casualty insurance and life and and we, you know we don't really I don't really do health but I know y'all may do a little bit of it but you know you got in the business guys you get in the business first thing you need to figure out is you need to sit down and game plan what is it that you're actually going to go sell and the, the, let me tell you the onus behind this podcast I heard this a long time ago from a really good agent up here in Huntsville who's a friend of mine I'll give him a shout out his name is John Peters well I was eating lunch with John one time and he's a nationwide guy and he's, he's been doing it longer than I have and he said uh, he said you know the thing about insurance Scott he said every company gives you products that you can sell and instead of trying to beat beat your head up against a brick wall and go trying to sell something that maybe they don't want or you don't have a good rate for, 
guys, you need to figure out what you do have a good rate for and, and a good product and you need to go sell it. And I'm not saying don't go sell all the rest of it. I'm just saying your chances of success, if you're trying to sell a product that your company, or if you're an independent, multiple companies have, you know, access to, you need to figure out what they want to write and you need to get your ass out there and go sell it. You got to figure out what's important to you as well. Absolutely. And so, and that kind of rolls back to understanding the vehicle that you need to be in too. I'm going to say some stuff today and just be brutally honest about myself and some of my weaknesses and people can think what they want to from that. I, I don't mind. But for me personally, I love commercial insurance. I love selling commercial insurance. And the the more exotic the risk is, the more I like it. Because I love to find out about people's businesses and then trying to find a market, even if it's Lloyd's of London or something that's really exotic. I love going out to different markets and seeing who has a great rate for something that I consider an exotic risk. I just absolutely love that. That's my, that's my, that's my jam. And I absolutely uh, hate it. And and Bradley absolutely freaking hates it. So we, we are on two different ends of the spectrum. But guys, regardless of what you sell, it doesn't matter. Financial services, whether it's life insurance, you know, home and auto business, you, you, you got to figure out what you can sell and what the company that you represent wants to sell and then get out there and go sell it. And, and if go ahead, Scott, I just got done or uh, finished yesterday. Um, quoting a 12-car fleet on a commercial policy. And I did it because it was a good client of mine, but I spent two and a half hours pulling my hair out. And, uh, and, and, you know, I like sticking to my bread and butter. And and I think that's that's an important thing that, you know, that, that, um, that, that everybody needs to take into consideration is, is what's important to you. Because like for me, time is really, really, really important to me. And if something's right. going to take up a lot of my time before or after the sale, right? Then I'm then I'm not going to touch it. I don't like doing right. things that are outside of my bread and butter, and and so so I think that's what I mean by that. I hate it. It's not that I hate commercial. I mean the few commercial accounts I have are, are really 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 good accounts for me. But right. um, but I think it's just a matter of finding out number one what's important to you, the individual. What what do you have a good rate for, and how difficult is that going to be on the flip side? after you write that policy. Absolutely. Yeah. And and for me, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I can't stand to do. And I'm going to have to figure out whether I've got to go under hypnosis or whether I need to seek some type of, of therapy treatment for this. I don't know how to get over it. The biggest mistake that I will make in my insurance career will be if I do not put together a business plan and create a silo of my agency that is financial services and hire really good people to come in and help me sell and service the financial services sector of my business. And I'm not talking about term and whole life insurance. I'm talking about 401ks, disability plans, some life insurance, of course, key man policies, succession planning, all of the things that go in to financial services. If I don't do that in the next five years, it will be the biggest failure, probably the biggest failure of my life because we have a tremendous opportunity to do that. But I'm going to plug a book right now for all those new agents and and guys that have been doing it a while. 
There's a book out there called The War of Art. Now, I know what you're going to say. No, Scott, it's not The War of Art. It's The Art of War. That's what no, I was just you're, thinking. You're, you're wrong. You're wrong. There is a book. I believe his name. I want to say his name Stephen Pressfield, but I may be wrong about that. But a book called The War of Art. Basically, the whole premise behind the book Stephen Pressfield. I just Googled it. The whole premise behind the book is we all have what we what I like to refer to and what the book refers to as as the resistance inside us. It keeps us from being uber successful. It's that little voice that tells you not to do something or that you can't do something, even though you really can. And you have got to figure out a way to push through that resistance. Writers get that a lot. They have a lot of that resistance that keeps them from writing books, finishing novels, those types of things. That's kind of the onus where the book comes from because he is an extremely successful screenwriter. And if you if you do Google him, you'll see some of the stuff he's written and, and, and you've probably seen it in the movie theater. Yeah, the, the resistance as it relates to me getting into financial services is all in my head and it's all just me coming up with as many excuses as I can as to why I can't do that. Bottom line, I can sit here and run my mouth and tell you a hundred different reasons why I haven't done it and, and why I can't do it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's just simply whatever that is inside of me that's keeping me from doing that. So I'm just, I'm just keeping it real for y'all right now. That's absolutely and, right, Scott. And so, you know, we go back to that 90 day phenomenon that we talked about the other day. You come in, you're gangbusters. It's, it's like the damn Kool-Aid man busting through the wall and, and Bradley Flowers has done hired this person, and he's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the greatest salesperson we've ever hired. This, you know, high-fiving everybody in the office. And then things happen. That person loses some altitude. Bradley does something that maybe goes against their value system. And then something happens with the product, and maybe a claim doesn't get paid out, and, and they see kind of that transaction going on. And the next thing you know, 90 days in, they can't sell anything. They, they've let the resistance kind of get the best of them. And so uh, with financial services, for whatever reason, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable. And, and I think that's a, that's a key, too, is I'm going to have to figure out a way to get out of my comfort zone to go out and, and, and actually do what I need to do to sell financial services. I know I can do it. And, and let's just be real honest with each other. I'm now 45 years old. So the excuse of I'm a 20-something-year-old and nobody wants to buy financial services from a 20-something-year-old kid, I, that excuse has long been gone by the wayside, right? That, so, that's right. So, so, and, and, you know, Scott, I, I'm 28 years old, and if you're worried about your age, and I, and I do sell some financial services, I specialize in life insurance, I've never once in my career felt like someone did not buy from me because of my age or question right. my age. But now I know my shit. Exactly. But but yeah. still. You can get away still, with it when you know you shit. Right. And I mean, when, when I first started in the business, really actually doing financial services was, was the, the I've been at three companies. Um, uh, the, the middle company I was at, um, I would spend an hour to an hour and a half before appointments researching uh, my product. And I think that that helped me with that. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a quick story, Scott. This will be a good one. Someone called in wanting to come see me for long-term care. And I didn't even know what long-term care was. And I literally Googled what is long-term care. 
and Googled what it was and found some literature in the office, some brochures and some pamphlets, and researched the product for about three hours before the person came in. And the person comes in, and the guy I was working for says, you have to have a special license to sell long-term care. (laughs) I didn't know that. Um, but, but later on down the road that turned into a five figure long-term care sale. But yeah. And I think for me, you were talking about getting to that jumping off point it, with, uh-huh. with you and starting with financial services. Uh, for me it was more on the marketing side, which was literally this, this was it in a nutshell was doing video. Wow. And I was, I was too scared. And yeah, Scott says, wow. Now, cause he knows literally I, yeah. I, I post more videos than I do pictures. Um, and, and for me, it was, and I, and I told this, I gave a, a little talk to a couple of people uh, a while back, and, and I basically said, you know, once you identify what it is that's holding you back and you, you overcome that, then it's game on at that point. And, right. and for me, with, with the videos, it, so in 2015, I was on, I was one of the first people that downloaded, I downloaded Periscope the day it came out. And if you're, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, Periscope started the live stream uh, movement, and, and t- they, they were purchased by Twitter, I think, before they ever launched. So you would live stream on Periscope, and it would connect to Twitter and all this good stuff. And I went live one time. I didn't show my face. I showed mm-hmm. uh, the causeway here between Mobile, Alabama and Daphne, Alabama. It's a beautiful stretch of road. And uh, some guy commented and said, loser. And I immediately stopped. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think back to that right now. And I'm like, and I'm like gosh, dog, I right. could have been the number one insurance agent on Periscope. I could have, I could have, and obviously it would mean nothing now because Periscope is basically dead. But right. I could have grabbed up so much market share from that and been the guy. And it kills me. So the, the, to add to that is the next wave of social media, whatever it is. Um, I think it's voice, which is why we're doing this right now, um, exactly. is, is I'm not going to be, be scared to do that. But, but starting with that, going into that next year, for me, it was video. And what I finally identified was, is it, was a, it was a few of my peers that I cared what they thought about me. And, and I didn't want you know, these guys or these ladies to think I was some kind of idiot or moron or you know, putting myself out there for that. Right. And once I identified that and I realized, hey, they are literally never going to buy insurance from me. Right. They sell insurance too. And once I realized that, like what they think doesn't matter, I shot my first video and it's been, it's been game on since then. And as a matter of fact, one of them uh, came up to me about six months ago at a party and, or a get together and, and slapped me on the back and said, uh, basically criticized so, sort of a backhanded compliment you know, one of my videos and, and I, I put my hand around his shoulder and said, Hey, thanks for watching. Exactly. And, and, exactly. and so, and I mean, literally that's like wherever, like I went to a networking event yesterday and a guy I'd never met, this isn't to toot my own horn. This is to say, this is to talk about the value of that jumping off point. Yeah, um, yeah I, it works. Well, I yeah. went to a networking event yesterday and, and a guy that I had never met that probably makes more money than I do came up to me and said, man, I love your videos. I made one exactly like it and copied it. And I, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, okay, my name's Bradley. What's your name? And so, right. so and I know this is way off topic, but, but you talked about the, the war of art is, is getting to that jumping off point where you right. can, you, you don't care about anything else. You, you, you know, guns blazing and, right. and you know, a, a, a good friend of mine, uh, we were talking about him before the show, Jeff Roberts, 
uh, owns Yellowhammer Coffee, said when he decided he wanted to start his business, he basically got it in his head. He said, okay, what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is, is that I go bankrupt and me and my family have to live under a bridge and my two kids have the best camping trip of their life. I love it. And we so what, got, just, just from that, just from what you just said, we have got to have him on the show. Oh yeah. Jeff is awesome. We, we have got to have him on the show. So two things I want to ask you from what you just told us, and I, I want to make sure I understand this. Going back to when you started doing video again, or, or the first time you did it, and then where you are today, did you say that you really just kind of talked yourself into doing the videos in terms of just kind of rationalizing with yourself that it's going to be okay, and I and I need and I need I've got to do this. Is that kind of how you did it? That's exactly okay. right. It just it became a point to where I'm like, look, I, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I had to get to that point, and and anybody turned into just a few people, and I'm like, oh crap, they're never going to do business with me. I don't care what they think, so on and so right. forth. And it just right. it came to getting to a point to where the things that were keeping me from doing what I wanted to do didn't matter anymore. I was so the the thought of being on camera was so uncomfortable, and now. I'm probably more comfortable on camera because what I found out about myself in that process is I suck at writing copy. So writing a Facebook, doing a Facebook post, doing a a picture with words, my words always sucked. I always had a hard time articulating it into words. But what I found out was is, is on camera, I could say exactly what I wanted to say and it would come across exactly how I wanted it to come across. And so my, my very first video, I think my first video was actually a sales pitch targeting a subdivision. And basically what I said is, if you live in this subdivision in this town, you need to call me and get a quote on your insurance. And it just, boom, just exploded. And I was like, okay, all right, nobody's going to kill me. Nobody's making fun of me. Nobody's telling me I look like a loser. It was the opposite. People were saying, man, that's so awesome. You're the only insurance guy around here that's doing videos. And, and prior to that, I had done a, done a few live streams, but this was a a an actual produced, you know, edited video. And what eventually, what really helped me get started was my good buddy, Ren Bartlett, uh, works with Bluefish. Uh, he's one of the, the top marketing experts here in Mobile, showed me basically how to edit video. And, you know, something he could have charged me for, but, you know, right. chose not to, um, showed me how to edit video. And when I saw how easy it was, the ideas just started popping in my head. And it was like, oh, I can do this, I can do this. And that might be the same for you with the financial services, Scott, is, right. is, uh, is you know, once you do it, you're going you're gonna to probably fall in love with it. Right. I got another question, and it kind of relates to what you're – it does relate exactly. And to we're way saying. off topic, but I like the way this is going. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, we, we talk – hell, it's our podcast. We talk about whatever we want to. That's so, right. Get used to so, it. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone had a hand to play in that? I mean, let, let me back up. So at the time when you're being – you know, you're thinking in your mind, I can't do video, I'm not going to do video, blah, 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 blah. Are you watching – like Daily V with Grant Cart with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's saying, "Guys, you got to be doing video. You got to be doing video." Was that did that play a hand in it at all? To be honest, not really. Uh, I would love okay. to say it did, but that was before okay. the Daily V. It was before all that. What really uh, it, that that was before Gary V started vlogging. It, it really didn't, to be honest. Um, now, where it did help is you know Grant Cardone was big on Meerkat. Meerkat uh-huh. came right after Periscope. Do you remember Meerkat? 
I do. Meerkat, I do. Meerkat to, to me, Meerkat is Meerkat's live streaming software. Their platform was the best one, and and it died. Uh, so so it just goes to show, you know, the product doesn't matter; it's the execution. But Grant was was the number two, one or two Meerkat streamer in the world. And actually, when I got, I met him, we had coffee, and I was like, this dude's just a normal dude. He gives some awesome advice, but he's really creating something out of nothing. And and so that that sort of kicked off the live streaming, and I would do a live stream every now and then, but I would not save it because I was still a little bit self-conscious. And then finally, I got to the point to where I would live stream, I would save them, and then I would also do edited video. So I, I guess it, it sort of helped. You know, but this was before Gary V was saying you need to do a vlog, you need to do video, you need, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, uh, so I guess the answer is yes and no. So, so tell us the story. Tell tell the audience, and I haven't heard it either, but tell the story of how you had the opportunity to drink coffee and have coffee with uh, Gary Vayner, uh, with uh, Grant Cardone. So Grant followed me on Twitter one mm-hmm. night. And he just randomly followed me. I didn't do anything to, to get him to follow me. And I remember like thinking, okay, this is a fake account or whatever. And, and, you know, it was real, like it was the real account. It was, it was him. He was, you know, had the blue check mark. Actually his in-laws live not too far from where my office is. And I heard he was going to be down here. So I messaged him on Twitter because he followed me. That gave me the capability to message him. I said, Hey, I want five minutes with you. I don't want anything. I just want five minutes. I just want a, I just want a picture, yada, yada, yada. He sent me, sent me a message back and said, be here at this time. Hmm. And, and I had, it probably helped. I had actually, he's got a training platform, sales training platform. I had just purchased it the day before. Grant, Car- Grant, Grant Cardone University. Grant Cardone University. I just purchased yeah. it the day before. And is by it, the way, if, it, if, you, if, you, if you are struggling with sales at all, even in the mi- most minute amount, buy that program. Um, yeah, I have I have purchased um, modules of that program, not the whole thing, but I've purchased mo- different a couple of different modules that I wanted specifically to go over. Right, right, and it, and it's good yeah. stuff. And I'll be honest with you, the prices they charge for the modules, the individual uh-huh. modules, you're better off buying the whole program. Right. But if you if you do it and stick to it to the T, it's it's awesome. And what I did is I would watch five videos every morning. And what it is, is there's nothing in there that you can't get for free. It's just all of his material compounded together. So anyway, I had just purchased that program the day before, and I included that in my text to him. So I think that sort of, that that might've helped me out. You know what I mean? Um, So, so we, we spent a couple minutes together, uh, had a cup of coffee and didn't really talk about anything in specific. I was like, you know, dude, all the advice I need to get from you, I can get from your YouTube videos and your Facebook and your books. But, uh, but just that, that, that few minutes and and we took a, took a picture together, which is a terrible picture. So, so that was, that was really cool. That was, and I actually, I got to meet Gary Vaynerchuk within six months of that as well. So I got to basically meet my two business mentors slash heroes within a couple of months of each other, which was really, really cool. And did you uh, see, did you see the exchange between them and, and, uh, Grant studio when he brought him, brought Vaynerchuk in? I did. I did. What did you think about that? I thought it was real awkward because they're they're really opposites. They and, are. And, yeah, and it I, was it was extremely awkward. And, and and I'll I'll add to that. I don't want to say contentious, but um, I, I I'll be completely one thousand percent honest. It felt like 
Grant wanted to control the conversation, and Gary was not going to allow that to happen. Right, and part of what happened uh, in that is Gary was 45 minutes late. Right. So, And then his flight flew out right after that. And mm-hmm. so they, it, the interview was probably an hour shorter than what it what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think it's good. It's very basic, top of the line stuff. And and he right. said some stuff that Grant disagreed with right. that he did not vocalize. And you, if you watch the video, you can see the look on his face. And I think it would have been an awesome interview to see to, to see that exchange. Well, I disagree with this or I disagree with that. You know, but I mean, I, th- I thought it was good stuff, and I think they both mutually respect each other. I look for Gary to speak at uh, Grant's 10X Growth Con that's coming up in February. I-, I look for him to speak at it. He didn't speak at the last one, but uh, I I know Grant's probably going to do whatever he can to get Gary there. Absolutely. Well, and I, I'm, guys, I'm going to spit a little knowledge at you right here, okay? Had a guy tell me this one time, you need to write this down if you've got a pen and paper. If you don't, then, then just remember what I'm about to say. I had somebody tell me one time, and this relates to exactly what, what, you know, what we've just talked about, which is that resistance that's keeping you from selling whatever products and services that you want to sell. Somebody told me one time, they said, what are you willing to give up to be successful? What are you willing to give up to be successful? And what what he meant by that was, are you willing to get up the give up the resistance and the fear and the and the the whatever that is that's keeping you from doing it? Are you willing to give that up to be successful? Because a lot of people aren't. A lot of people are not willing to give it up. Um, you know, they just can't get past whatever that fear or phobia is that's keeping them from going on live video or speaking in public or going out and meeting people in a social setting to give themselves a better opportunity to succeed. You've got to figure out a way to get over all that. So I'm going to say it again. What are you willing to give up to be successful? And that's what that means. I see so many people, Scott. I, I started a group down here with my buddy, Ren Bartlett, uh, Mobile Young Entrepreneurs. And through that, we get to meet a lot of, of young and local business owners. And this is not calling anybody out specifically, but I see so many, so many people, they, they start a business and they still want to go out and get drunk on Friday night. Not to saying that there's anything wrong with that. Hey, if mediocrity is your thing, get right. after it. But don't right. don't do that and then go complain because business sucks. Exactly. Right? Don't think that you're going to act like everybody else and still be an anomaly. Exactly. If you want to make $900,000 a year, you can't act like the people who are making forty. And so I see that a lot in Preach. folks. It's like they, they don't want to give up mm-hmm. the stuff that they like to do. Mm-hmm. but they still want to complain that they're not successful. Well, if you want to be successful, go act like successful people. And I don't right. care what you say that the successful insurance agent or lawyer that's at the golf course every day at three o'clock, I don't consider him successful because right. if you compare his level of success to his potential, then that's not success. You know, it's funny that you bring this up because, and I'm not trying to tell anybody to live my lifestyle, certainly, but it is a very rare blue moon very rare, probably maybe three or four times a year that I go out on a weekend night. Right. Now, let me tell you what I do do. Okay. I will usually go out in a social setting and it's usually something where 
there's like a business purpose behind it or a social mixer at a bar like dur- like during the week. But I always do it with kind of a purpose in mind and I do it in a place that I know there are going to be a lot of professionals there that I can meet and sling business cards to. Right. I, I do I do that. And it's kind of usually- like the thing that somebody said, uh, or it's actually it a Facebook post I saw. It said, wifey material doesn't go out and get hammered until 3 a.m. every Friday night. <laughs> That's exactly Successful right. people don't go out and get hammered till 3 a.m. every Friday night. I'm going to tell right. you, Scott, some of the best advice I, I've ever been given, and it was actually from Grant Cardone, on how to treat weekends and holidays. Uh-huh. This is going to intrigue you because I know you. This is going to intrigue you. <laughs> treat weekends and holidays like layovers at the airport. Wow. Think about what you do at layovers at airport. Right. You check your email. You get caught up on some work. You don't go get blitz. You don't, you don't, you you know, you have to, when you're on a layover in an airport, you have to keep the main thing, the main thing for many reasons. And one, because you're thinking about where you're going, which I think is the message there. You know, if I've got a layover in Atlanta and I'm heading to, to New York city, I'm thinking about what I'm doing when I get to New York city. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing when I'm in Atlanta. So when you're on these weekends and holidays, you're, you're going to think about what you're doing when you get to where you want to go. Not right, right now. It's, it's living in the future versus living in what you're, you know, worrying about the future versus worrying about right now. I think right. that's a really, really solid piece of advice. You know, don't go out and get blitzed or go, you know, play golf or do something that's going to take your mind off of the prize or your eye mm-hmm. off of the prize on the weekends and holidays. I love it. I mean, that's that is that's that is tremendous advice. And that's me and, elaborating on his statement. All he said was, "Is right. treat them like like layovers." He didn't say anything else. That's my interpretation of that. Well, and and it's funny that because my interpretation of that is when you're at a layover at an airport, uh, what I typically do is exactly what you said. I'm checking emails. I may talk to three or four people on the phone. No, I'm not in the office, and I'm not getting after it the way I would if I was sitting in an office setting and I had a an action list of stuff I needed to get done, but you are still getting a pretty damn good amount of work done in terms of just checking emails, maybe quickly responding to somebody or, or, or doing a quick phone call and, hey, you know, this is going on or that's going on. And it's funny that you bring that up, that 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 statement up, because that kind of is how I treat treat vacations. That's when I 1,000% go on a vacation. how I treat them. Yeah, it's it's you know I check email two or three times a day. I probably still take I don't know five, four, five, six calls during the day. Sometimes more. Um, not usually though. Usually it's more more like three, four, five calls. And sometimes it's just my staff. Hey, you know I got I got a problem or we need to look at this real quick. Can you can you talk about it? You know are that you, kind of. Are stuff. you open on Saturdays? I am not open on Saturdays. No. I'm not and either, I, I but would, I wish I was. I think that's oh, an I would advantage. Love to be. I would love to be. And I know some agencies that that will, especially larger agencies that have like like a fairly large staff that do a what they call a rotating weekend where they'll open up from, say, 10 to 1 on Saturdays, but there's only one person in the office that day or, you know, on that Saturday. So everybody else gets off. So if you've got 10 or 12 agents in an office like that, hell, you can do that because you won't have to work, but one Saturday every three, four, five months. Right. So, you know, it still gives the flexibility of, of having an open agency, but not everybody's impacted by it. Just a, just a thought. I don't know uh, if that would be something that you'd think about or not, but I tell you what I love about weekends being open because when I started I was in I was open every weekend on Saturday and I'd be there all day long 
You're the only one open. Right, exactly. So, and guess what? So, well, you're not the only one open, Scott, because these companies that sell insurance online are open. Well, that's true. They're well, they're yeah, open. I they're just, open to the guy who's eating Cheetos off his stomach at three a.m. too, though. So I don't know if you necessarily want that. And you know, now that you've said that, I do have to retract my statement because my after-hours phone system, I think it's option two, says it's my voice, but it says if you need a quote on insurance now, please press two to be connected to our after's after-hours agency. And so when they hit two. Anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, when they hit that number two, they can, they'll go up to Nationwide, and Nationwide will do the quote for them. And I thought that was something you set up yourself. I'm over here taking notes, dog. No, no, no. No, I did set it up myself. I set it up through my phone system, and I just rerouted, I rerouted the option two to what they call Nationwide Sales and Service. Now, here's the key. Here's the kicker. I have to that that message is a little long because I have to tell people on the message to give them our agency code when they get connected because if they don't then that then that business stays with nationwide sales and, and service rather than coming back into my agency. And you and I both know they can track that call and see where it came from. Absolutely they can. But no. So so yeah, if somebody calls my agency at three o'clock in the morning eating Cheetos on their couch, they, they could they could get a quote and get put in our book of business. Yeah, that could happen. Honestly, I don't know how much it does happen. It may happen more than I think it does. I don't know. So Scott, let me ask you a question on the subject of things you have to give up. Mm-hmm. Do you give clients your cell phone? I give everybody my cell phone. Okay, I wanted yeah, to every, make I wanted to make sure that before I said this, if you yeah. do not give your clients your cell number, I firmly believe that you don't care about them as much as you should. I, w- I would agree with that. Now, no, whether got, that's I a got, work cell or a personal, cell, you know, you know, I, I mean, they need to have your cell phone number, and that's another thing I think you need to give up is is your anonymity and your privacy. Because you're dealing with a business that shit can happen all day long, every day, anytime. A fire doesn't care that it's 3 a.m. or that it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Neither does a hurricane or a tornado. I think it's it's something that, that people need to think about is it's not a job. It's a business. Well, and op- option five on my op- after hours, which kicks on at 530 every day, option five is if you have a claims emergency or you need to speak to Scott Howell immediately, please hit five to be connected to Scott's cell phone. Like that. So they call my agency if they'll just take the damn time to listen to all the options and they get to five, they can pop me on my cell phone right there at five and it comes straight to my cell. And I'm not yeah. saying train your clients to call you first every time, no. but they need to have your number. They Absolutely. need to know where because because if 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 they cannot get in touch with you when they need to get in touch with you, then you're not any different from these guys online or somebody you buy insurance over the phone with and you you know, they're in New Jersey they're in they're in uh, India, and you think they're in New Jersey. Hell, I got one. I got one better for you than that. I got some agents up here in Huntsville that their staff won't even give me their cell phone. I can't even call them on their cell phone if I needed to speak to them. I have run into that. <laughs> anyway, that, that's here or there. I, I, I just, I agree with you. I think, I think the only, one of the only ways you can differentiate yourself from everybody, from the pack, from the herd, is to give people your cell phone. And, and ninety nine times out of a hundred. No, they don't call you on it unless there is a true emergency or something has happened 
and they desperately need to talk to you. Otherwise, they usually don't call you. And you're going to have those people that call you first every time, and you just have to sure. train them not to do that. Absolutely. With the exception of one or two that I have in my book of business, most people do not call me. And then when they do, it is the break glass in case of emergency type situation. Well, guys, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, game planning on what we're going to sell. I'm going to give you a couple of tips. I think we've already talked about this, but companies are going to let you know what they want you to sell. They're, they're going to do it through through their pricing. They're going to do it. A lot of companies, if you're an independent agent and you want to know what all these companies want to sell, a bunch of them have what they call a hot list, that marketing rep for that company, Travelers, Hartford, Philadelphia, I could keep going on. Safeco, MetLife, don't care who it is. Those marketing reps in about 0.02 seconds will send you a hot list, especially on the commercial side. They'll send you a hot list of, hey, these are the, these are the, this is stuff we got a good rate for, and this is the stuff we're riding right now. Okay. So get a hold of that hot list and work it. If it's something that you're passionate about, and, and that leads into my next topic. If you're a commercial agent, if you're getting into commercial business, and I tell young agents this every week when I talk to them, figure out what your niche is and go get it, go after it. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an indicator on what that needs to be. If you're a little older and you've got some life experience, you need to draw things that interest you. So if in a previous life you were a real estate agent and then you get into insurance business and you're going to sell commercial insurance, more than likely, what you're going to find is that you're going to be drawn over to that real estate side of the house in terms of trying to sell insurance to maybe commercial brokers or owners that have buildings, those types of things. And once you fall into that niche and it's something that you love to do and talk about and, and get your sink your teeth into... A lot of times you can make a lot of money doing that. You can you and, and that's that's really how most commercial agents that I know that have been in the business for a long time and been very successful, they kind of get in it and then they kind of figure out what their niche is in the commercial world. And the next thing you know, they're building a book of business in that particular niche and they kind of become the resident expert in that. You got anything to add to that, Bradley? Well, one thing that I wanted to say, and this popped into my head earlier, is that something that is your niche today might not be your niche tomorrow. Right. And I use my own personal experience from that. When I first started uh, with my own agency was I wrote a lot of landlords who had 20 and 30 rental houses. Uh I'm talking about the most extreme of the extreme, not multifamily like you do, but I'm talking about guys who, you know, would literally call me at 1030, you know, AM on Monday it's, or excuse me, on Friday and say, hey, I just bought two houses and call me again on Monday and say, hey, I just bought two more. Uh, <laughs> guys like that. And at that time, I needed that premium. And that's really why I did it. And also, I had the time to do it. But what I found is as the years go on, I'm four years removed from that now. I hate dealing with it. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, the clients are, no offense to anybody, are the neediest of the needy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they're not going to call you and tell you they bought a house till they've already bought it and they need it right then. And right. some of that falls on me or a lot of that falls on me for not training them the way that I needed needed them to do business with me. But I got to the point to where I did not want to deal with, with the time. The time for the money wasn't worth it. And right. and so I eventually, you know, found a, a good referral partner that I sent those guys to. And that's, that's not 
an issue now. I still have great relationships with all of them. But back then, that was sort of my niche. I mean, I even told people when I introduced, you know, yeah, I do a lot of a lot of single family rental houses. And we do, you know, we did some Section 8 rental houses, which were honestly the best tenants to deal with on our end. Uh, because they appreciate having that. But yeah, it eventually got to the point to where I didn't want to deal with that. So what was my niche, you know, became not my niche. And it wasn't anything to do with the company, really. It was just me. Right. You know, so sometimes there's niches for your company that, that you don't want to deal with. You know, right. as long as there are no production requirements for that, you know, so be it. Let, you know, get, you know, don't do it. What if your niche is, you know, your home and auto agent or associate agent you you only represent one company and that company takes a huge rate increase where are we at with that because there's probably people listening to this right now that you know they work for a company and it doesn't matter which one it is but but they're more of that exclusive agent and they love selling home and auto insurance and then they their product people come out and have a meeting and say hey we're taking a 20 27 rate increase on home and auto if you are selling insurance on price alone you're Mm -hmm. gonna lose I agree. You might deserve to lose. Right. Um, right. Not saying I've never sold insurance on price. I sell insurance on price every day. You have to in this business because that's what the consumer cares about nine out of ten times. But mm-hmm. your overall objective needs to sell insurance on value. And I, I think what, what happens in those situations, and obviously, I mean, right now in the state of Alabama or in the United States of America, didn't every car insurance carrier in the U.S. take a rate increase? They did. As far as I know, it's been every single one of them, yes. Right. The, the people who sell on value and sell on value good are going to win. The people mm-hmm. who aren't are either going to have lo- to learn or they're going to lose. One of the two. Right. What I would add to that is I think you can sell on value on home and auto business, but boy, does it make your life a million times easier if you also have rate. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. When you're selling on value in the insurance business because you got guys like Buffett and, and, and everybody else spending billions of dollars to try to, to turn this thing into a commodity, and, and they've done a pretty good job of that, it just, it just gets so much easier when you have rate. Um, That's exactly it, it, right, Scott. That's yeah, exactly right, yeah. man. So, guys, you need to game plan. When you get into this business, you need to game plan what you're going to sell. And you need to find out what the company or companies, if you're an independent, what they want, find a hot list, figure out what the company you represent. And and Bradley, let me say this. And I tell people this all the time. A company does not have to straight up tell you they don't want that kind of business. You know, they can make the underwriting requirements and the agent requirements and the price so high that nobody's just going to buy it anyway. I know a guy that quoted a Ninja motorcycle one time. Mm-hmm. And the premium on it was thirteen thousand dollars <laughs> every right. six months. That's that's folks that don't want a ninja motorcycle. On their One motorcycle. I asked the guy. Said what? What did you tell the client? And he said, I told him that's a real nice way of telling us, telling you that we don't want your business. Absolutely. That's the perfect example right there, guys. Your your company doesn't have to tell you they don't want it. When they tell you that they want thirty six interior pictures. And it's going to have to be inspected, and the rate's three thousand dollars when it should be thirteen hundred, and, and they just don't know if they're going they're going to have to spend thirty days in discovery figuring out what you know. They can get you to the point where you're just like, you know what, we're good, we're good, because as I keep telling people over and over again, we got to make it easy for people to buy. And the harder the company makes it on you to sell a product, and the more hoops that you have to jump through, and paperwork that the customers got to sign, and 
stuff that's got to be done and inspections before we can bind and all this other stuff. Ain't no part of any of that easy. So that they could they could make it, but you got to figure out what they do want to write. And when you figure that out, go write it. You know, there are days when I daydream about having a marketing rep in our agency, like a lot of these large com- uh, independent shops have, where if you're an in- if you're an independent commercial agent, you literally can call your marketing rep and say, "Hey, I've got this." Uh, adult daycare business who who we got that's got the best rate on that and your marketing rep just basically tells you it's it's uh you know it's nautilus and uh, i'm gonna shoot you their cord for, cord forms right now get them to, you know fill them out real quick and get them to me and i'll get you a quote i hate accord forms <laughs> i think everybody hates cord forms I, I, I don't know anybody that loves accord forms guys if you don't know what accord forms are they're basically just a fancy way of saying application that's pretty much what they are a lot of them you still have to hand, hand write or type and print out on your computer, but I don't know anybody that likes accord forms. And you know what? You know what follows an accord form, don't you? Some some kind of damn supplemental application you have to fill out in addition to it. Liquor liability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so guys, listen to what I'm saying. We got about five minutes left on the podcast. Don't run around. Once you become an agent, especially if you're a commercial agent, don't run around and shotgun all over the place trying to just go get whatever. Don't figure try to be the what, jack of all trades. Yeah. Go, figure out what your niche is. Figure out what you're good at. If you have to reverse engineer that, I'm going Gary Vaynerchuk on your asses right now. If you have to reverse engineer back to what you loved when you were a kid or or maybe a previous life when you're in the construction business or, or something, you'll figure it out. But once you figure it out, you, you'll you'll figure out what you enjoy going and talking to people about. And then from that, that really needs to be kind of what your niche is in the in the insurance business. And like and and like Bradley said, you know, one day you may wake up after a bad piece of pizza or, you know, maybe just the companies you represent don't don't want to write that business anymore. And you got to go find something new and you're going to have to get over it and go do it. But for the most part, we need to find what our niche is on the commercial side and, and really the financial services side, too. Bradley, do you want to talk about the financial services side of finding your niche? I would think that and I can only speak for the life insurance side is finding the, those folks that meet your health sweet spot. Right. So in other words, right. you know that if they are a type 2 diabetic and take insulin four times a day, you <laughs> don't even need to talk to them. But, uh, you know, one thing I was going to add to what you were saying, Scott, is is I think one of the most important things is is find out what companies or what, excuse me, what agents have what niches. So, I have an independent here in town that I know specializes in big rental house LLCs. So all my all of my rental houses I wrote, I referred out to him. So you gotcha. need to find out what you can do and what you can't do. And the stuff that you can't do, don't tell the people no. Find somebody who can do it because that makes no that does two things. That makes you the resource because right. the next time they need that life insurance policy or that car insurance policy, they're gonna come to you. And right. two, you need to uh you build a relationship with that person. So I build a relationship with the independent down the street and we can refer business back to each other. I was telling that to a new agent the other day. He came in gung ho trying to do all this, this crazy commercial crap. And and I told him, I said, man, you'd be better off referring that out because we're, you know, there's not going to be at your company. He wasn't with my company. He was with another company. Your company is not going to have a good rate on that. You're going to, you're going to spend, Let's stop right there. Did you just go back to last week's podcast? Do we have a young agent who got in the wrong vehicle? That's right. 
So I mean, because what what you just said sounds like you got somebody that bought a cat and meant to buy a dog. Right. Hmm, interesting. So basically, what I said is, look, you would be better off referring that out. You're going to build a good relationship with somebody else. You're going to free up your time. The customer's going to be happy. Look, early in my career, I had somebody that called me and said, "Hey, I need you to insure my helicopter." You know what I said, right. Scott? <laughs> Absolutely. And then I hung the phone up and I went and found somebody who could insure a helicopter and I right. become the resource for that person. So, so in, in closing, what else would you like to say on this subject? I mean, I think we covered it. I mean, you got to find what you, what your company wants to write. Don't chase around a bunch of crap that, that you can't either can't write or because here's what happens on the commercial side and hell you see it more and more on the personal line side. You don't have one sale to make. You got to sell a damn underwriter what you're doing too. Right. And so you got two sales to make. You go chasing down something that that particular company doesn't want. Well, now you got to go sell an underwriter on something that, that they really don't even want. The company doesn't want. And so you're, you're really just beating your head up against the wall. And it would be so much easier to find out what the company want, what type of risk they want, find out the, the details of that. Philadelphia insurance you know they, they like student housing but then when you drill down and you start finding out that yeah we love student housing it's got to be no more than 10 years old it's got to be sprinklered the parents have to be on the lease and the da 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 if you're gonna write student housing through philadelphia don't go out looking at 30 and 40 year old apartments because this shit's not gonna happen you're gonna spend all your time you know creating an accord form and send it in only to be told by the underwriter that they're not going to touch it don't waste your time running around find out details of what companies want and then go get that business and go ride it and you know stick your chest out there and say hey i gotta I got, i'll take the pepsi challenge with whoever on this on in terms of of quality and and rate and you know all that all those things and and, and it just makes it so 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 much easier all the way around guys i want to thank everybody insurance agents from around the world for listening today bradley i'm gonna say this about our podcast it just keeps getting better and better baby we're like fine wine we just keep getting better i'm excited about the future i'm excited about bringing some of these uh business leaders and thought leaders on our show i'm just fired up about it me too buddy me too guys listen rewards come from action not discussion we can sit here and talk all day long get your ass out there and go sell something today take care of your family do a good job of representing the agency that you own or that you work for and go write good insurance business my name is scott howell this is bradley flowers and we are coming at you live from Deep Fried Studios in Mobile, Alabama. Have a great week, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Scott. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of The Insurance Guys. Take care.